This is Whitley Strieber, and this is Dreamland. You've reached the edge of the world. Today, before we start Dreamland, I would like to talk to you very seriously about some things that are happening in the world around us. Uh, today, we're going to be talking to Preston Dennett and Dolly Safran. Preston has been researching her case. She is a close encounter witness from way back, all the way back to 1973. Her father was one before her, and she believes that she has been taken aboard UFOs and has pretty much full memory of this. And, of course, we can't know. None of us can know, absolutely. But she's got some video that suggests that she does see things in the sky like John Merton does, and it may be that this is happening. I've always felt like contact as it emerges will become very asymmetric, and this is very asymmetric, so I'm sure you're going to enjoy the show. Now, before we go there, though, I want to talk about something that's concerning me deeply, and that is the mental health of this community. And I'm not talking about the idea that, well, maybe because you believe in UFOs, you're mentally unhealthy. I think that's probably part of your mental health, actually, that you, you see through the lies. But what I'm concerned about is, for example, uh, recently there was a man in uh, Santa Barbara, California, called Matthew Coleman, who murdered his two children last August because he had come to believe that they were possessed by reptilian DNA and his wife was potentially a shapeshifter. He was turned in this direction, so it says in the news stories, by his interest in David Icke's work. And I had David Icke on my show once years ago, and I never had him back because I don't believe him. It's as simple as that. One of the things the visitors warned me about is that we would begin to go crazy as our planet got into more and more trouble. And it is surely in a lot of trouble now with the dreadful storms that march across the South, it seems, every few days, the melting of the Antarctic of all places, and the Arctic, of course, and now this terrible, unbelievable war in Ukraine, and it, it, it makes me so sad to see those poor people being utterly destroyed by the whim of a disgusting, arrogant, criminal madman. And let's let's just call a spade a spade here. I know, and this is one of the reasons I'm talking now, that there are too many Americans who are sort of on the side of authoritarianism and dictatorship. That's not what this country is about. We can't go down that path. We must never elect anybody who wants to turn this country into a dictatorship. Never. Never. The visitors, in my experience, have got three things that they are concerned about. Climate change, nuclear weapons, 
and freedom. Now, they don't speak directly about freedom, but they try so hard to preserve our free will, and they invest themselves so heavily in the freest countries, the United States, Canada, Australia, Great Britain. These are the places that they spend a lot of time. Italy is another place that they spend a lot of time in. All of these countries are exceptionally free. Their, their cultures allow people to express themselves in all kinds of ways. And they're here. We must not let that go. We must not give it up. That freedom is our chance to grow as human beings and as souls. So when you come to Unknown Country, you come to a website that is dedicated to these issues, dedicated to them. And in my own personal life, I live by the oldest admonitions there are, the Apollonian admonitions of know thyself and nothing overmuch. That means I live a life of moderation. I am not a political extremist of any kind. I never will be and never have been. And I'm on a journey to know who I really am and to understand myself in the world and what the world is in my understanding. I think that is a universal human journey. And I think too many of us are falling off that path. But I just want you to know, we're not falling off that path here, not on unknowncountry.com. This is a place for rationality, moderation, and freedom. Rationality, moderation, and freedom. I am very worried that the Ukraine situation could flare up into what would quickly become a world war. Now, at the moment, things are quiet. Russia is either giving up or regrouping. By, I don't know which is going to happen. If they attack again, and they may, and they fail again, and they probably will, then I think that we can expect that they will begin to attack outside of Ukraine. I think that there is quite a possibility that if they keep failing because of the fact that NATO is arming the Ukrainians, then they will attack NATO in one way or another. And at that point, I think the danger is extraordinary because of the problem of mutually assured destruction. It used to be that whoever fired first was certain to be destroyed, but both sides have worked to undermine that for years. And now it's as likely that the side that fires first will survive as it is that it will be destroyed. So we have a grave danger 
of an extraordinary instability in the nuclear world appearing at the same time that Russia is ruled by a desperate megalomaniac. It could not be more dangerous than this. So look to your souls, pray, live for the good. If you've never read my book, Jesus and New Vision, you should do so, because it lays that out, and so does the key. The both books are about living for the good in one way or another. This is our salvation, and this is our hope. We have to live for the good. Now I want to break another rule, and I'm going to start Dreamland before I start Dreamland. What I'm going to do is I'm going to show you a video that Dolly will be talking about from time to time during the course of the show. It's important that you see this because this video shows, and she takes many similar videos, They're not, it's not unusual, shows an object that we can't explain making a close approach to her. And therefore, I think we should take her story as seriously as possible. Now, I don't know if she's accurate about what she's saying, but I do know that this relationship she has with the visitors is on some level very real. And it's a relationship that I think is going to spread in our world. This is what contact is about. Ultimately, it's not going to be about the official world. It's going to happen in your backyard and in your bedroom and down on the beach where you're strolling with your dog. That's where it's going to happen. Okay, so now let's look at this video and then we'll go straight on into Dreamland. And it's a wonderful, wild, and beautiful show. I'm sure you'll enjoy it as much as I did making it. And I have to thank Preston Dennett and, above all, Dolly Saffron for her courage in coming out as she has. <sighs> I'm ready. Today on Dreamland, we have 
a show that is really basically about the next step. Where are we going, the experiencers? And I think the direction is becoming more clear and it is becoming more clear because of people like Dolly Safran, who is with us today. Dolly is a longtime experiencer with quite a difference, which we will learn about in a few minutes. And Preston Dennett, who has researched her case, one of the great UFO researchers of our era, and uh, he has researched this case thoroughly. There's a book, Symmetry, A True UFO Adventure, and an adventure it certainly is. I'd like to welcome you both to Dreamland. Thank you. Thank you very much. Oh, good. Well, let's start with, uh, with, uh, with you, Preston. And I'd like to ask you how it came to be that Dolly came into your life. Uh, it was actually under very interesting circumstances. Uh, she contacted me um, some, some time ago. Uh, Dolly had decided to come forward with her story, and she was looking for someone to tell it, so a good researcher. And she consulted with her ET contacts, and they said, don't worry, you will find someone. And she had a hard time. She was going through various researchers and couldn't find one that seemed like a good fit. And uh, they encouraged her to keep looking and eventually pointed her in my direction, said, look at this guy. So what it comes down to is I was recommended <laughs> by the ETs themselves. Uh, and that's when Dolly contacted me. Uh, so that was really quite humbling. Not the first time that's happened, by the way. Uh, but that is how our relationship began. Well, it's a it's an amazing story because, uh, Dolly, you must have felt that. Did they recommend him by name? Yes, they did. They, they did. Um, yes. Uh, uh, they knew his name and they knew he had a YouTube channel. And uh, uh, Talata uh, said, go look at it and see what you think. And uh, when I picked it up, I went back in his playlist and picked up one of his first uh, videos in that playlist. It was a while back. And it was about healings. And it impressed me a great deal. Um, uh, I'm, I was looking for somebody who could relate information accurately and who would tell uh, the facts, you know, and not make embellishment, too many embellishments or anything like that. I wanted somebody who was very succinct and, uh, as I listened to him talk, I realized that he's really pretty good at it. And, uh, so I made, I decided to make contact with him over it and I sent him an email <laughs> and then I made a phone call <laughs> <laughs> and it just sort of went from there. Well, that's wonderful. And now here the three of us are. Uh, yes. taking this story out into the public. Uh, and this is a story, folks, of conscious contact. It is not a story about abduction, about horrors and dreadful things happening. It isn't about fear at all. Uh, it, it, it does involve, however, an exploding turkey early on. <laughs> which, let's, so let's go back to the very 
<laughs> first time. We'll get to the exploding turkey, folks. So that's the sort of thing that happens to me, not to other people. But uh, in any case, I have been involved with an exploding turkey myself, in two of them, in fact, at the same time. <laughs> but that's not a story for this day. Uh, <laughs> the um, Let's go back to 1973, Dolly. And why don't you tell us a, a little bit about a rather interesting night when you saw some extra stars. Um, I was out uh, one night doing my uh, homework. I was taking astronomy lessons at the Miami uh, Transit Planetarium, and uh, I would spend late nights out, and it was the summertime, and I did have uh, summer school that year. And about 1 o'clock in the morning, my father said, go to bed. So I packed down my scope and went in the house, got ready for bed, and uh, I have this big windows across the back of my room. And they're jalousied, Florida jalousies. You can almost climb out them. They're so big. And I had a big ledge on them that was tiled. And once I got ready for bed, I would sit on the edge of my bed and, you know, gaze out the window. Uh, didn't sleep a lot. And uh, I just looking and having a nice night. Orion was up. And uh, I realized that... Uh, Things were not exactly as they should be. I saw about 100, 150 or more stars up there that were moving around, and I realized these are not stars. And uh, I watched them. It wrapped, and I was thinking, oh, my God, what am I looking at? And um, they started pairing up, and they started going in different directions, east, west, north, and south. Two pair came down uh, over my area. Uh, two of the pair went east toward uh, Dadeland Mall off of Kendall Road, that direction. And then the other two came down over my house, over our property. And one of them veered off to the west, and the, the one came down literally into our over my room on the backside of our house. Um, I have a bunch of trees out there, and they started whipping around. I could see them, you know, like they were blowing in the wind, and... Uh, it was amazing to me. Now, as this process was happening, um, I had made my mind up long before this that I was going to remember everything. I knew I was having something happen to me. I knew that I needed to consciously connect to it. And uh, so I started memorizing everything as it was coming down. And I saw them change color from way up in the uh, in space into the atmosphere and come down. They went from white to golden to like orangey yellow, yellow, uh, they turned uh, green and then blue. And then as they approached over the yard and got closer and closer, I saw that this uh, craft was metallic. And I realized uh, that it was not an airplane. It wasn't a drone. It wasn't anything that I ever saw before that I could remember anyway. And I started memorizing it. I was drawing it in my mind. And when I made it, I was started at the bottom of the craft and I was working my way up to the top and when I got to the ports, uh, I went into shock because there were two beings looking out the windows at me. <laughs> and uh, that, that, that took me by surprise. <laughs> and uh, that moment shook me really bad. And I decided, no, I think I'm just going to back up a little bit. I needed a minute and I wanted to dive under my bed. <laughs> and I uh, never made it. My room exploded into blue-white light. I froze and passed out. Nothing. Boom. Gone. 
I came to on the floor of my room about three hours later, uh, disoriented, uh, not in my clothes. I was wearing something else inside out backwards and uh, felt funky. And I started crying. I got really mad because I really was trying to remember what was going on with me. And uh, I started to get angry. And then I heard my mother in the kitchen. She was cooking breakfast early because of my dad. And uh, so I got up, went in the bathroom, took a shower, got rid of those clothes, put on clean ones, and went out into the kitchen because I didn't know what else to do with myself. Um, she asked me to make coffee, and she's listening to the radio, and I'm trying to talk to her. And I said, Mom, did you guys see lights last night? You know, did you hear anything? And she said, what are you talking about? And uh, I said, you know. And she whirled on me and put her finger in my face and said, nope, mm -mm, no, that meant no talking about it. And I was like it devastated. Meant, it meant no talking about it, but not that she didn't right. see them. Right. It, um, uh. if, if, they, if they knew what was going on, she wasn't going to talk about it. So the radio changed announcers. It went from Paul Harvey to the news. And uh, the announcer came on first thing with uh, two Miami-Dade uh, Metro police officers in Kendall saw UFOs tonight. And they described it perfectly. And uh, I mean, exactly what I saw. And uh, by this time, I'm starting to really go, oh, my God, this is confirmation for me. I've never been backed up. Every time I've ever talked about anything, my mom has always put me down. You're dreaming. You're out of your mind. No, 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 no. Okay. She couldn't refute it. <laughs> there it was. Proof. Okay. And I started to get really excited. And she whirled on me again. And she said, absolutely not. Get out of the kitchen. No. I started to walk out devastated. My dad started to walk in and he stopped me and he said, we'll talk about it. Don't worry about it. It's okay. And he said, go meditate, you know, go do what you got to do. Cause he, he said, knew. he said, go meditate. Yes. Why did um, he say that? Do you think? Uh, because he was a contactee and he knew exactly what was happening to me. And yeah, I but, think he knew uh, that I needed to recall at that point. But, but you didn't know at the time that you, that he was right. Exactly. Why don't but, you t tell us now about? Why don't you tell us now about when you found that out? It's quite a story, and what what happened to him is also an extraordinary story. And, and then we'll get we'll in, the the exploding turkey will become involved. <laughs> okay. Um, he grew up on a farm in Wisconsin, and they had a dairy farm. And uh, he and his brother liked to go camping sometimes, and they stole one of the turkeys, and they went off into the woods where the lake was a big lake near the property and they they killed it they plucked it they spit it and you know stuck it and got a fire going and started cooking it and uh, they were very very excited and having a nice night you know and uh, I think somebody brought some beer or whatever and uh, it exploded <laughs> literally <coughs> excuse me and I uh, went all over the place. I mean, all over them, everything. And they grabbed it and they ran to the lake with it because they didn't want to waste dinner. They were hungry. And they cleaned it, were cleaning the carcass out in the water and cleaning themselves up. They jumped in the lake and were cleaning up. And uh, they were going to go back and finish cooking it. And uh, my dad said, all of a sudden, they saw a light uh, coming up over the other side of the lake. And it got bigger and bigger. And it flew up over the lake toward them. And then it in less than a second, it was right over the top of them. My dad said he couldn't run. He froze. 
he could move. His brother was standing behind him, I think. Uh, he went from that to suddenly being on board a craft. And uh, he was in a, a room with ETs, you know, Grays, he told me. And they pretty much wanted to talk to him. And they did. Uh, my father is exceptional, was exceptional. He uh, had dyslexia really, really bad, but he was very, very intelligent. And uh, he learned to uh, teach himself how to read in, in a unique way. When they, when tape recorders came out, when he was a teenager, he found the money to buy one. And he would read into the tape recorder and then listen to it. That's how he learned. And they told him to keep doing that, that he would be just fine. And he lived to draw. He knew he wanted to be an architect. He was, I mean, he could freehand draw anything already by then. And they told him to keep going, that that was his path, you know, and he had to decide how far he wanted to go with it. And uh, they let him go. Yeah, so that was, it's like they were, they were kind of watching his life. Yes. I wonder yep. if that's because this is all, this is part of our lives. At least yes. some of us. I yes. think it is part of uh, yours yeah. and mine and Preston's too. And I, that, I want, yes. yeah, I want to go back, uh, Preston, if I may, and uh, ask you a question. Dolly mentioned something that struck me when I was reading the book as well, which is that she sleeps very little. Um, I sleep very little. Uh, very little. And I'm wondering, as a researcher, you've you've talked to lots of close encounter witnesses. Is this a, a common among these witnesses that they would mention that they don't sleep very much or not? Yes, it is common. And at first I thought perhaps that's just part of the dealing with the trauma of having the contact experience and you know, the insomnia that might come with that. Uh, people often talk about not being able to sleep unless there's a night light or background noise. But no, I've relatively recently um, come to that conclusion that contactees do not sleep like normal people. They require about three hours of sleep in the evening. And uh, I mean, one guy in England, uh, Colin Gary, told me the same thing. He says, ever since I was a little, little boy, I've only slept about three hours a night. I'm talking to another lady in New York, same thing. Her experiences very much mirror Dolly's. Uh, this is absolutely a sign of contact. And I'm not quite sure what it means or how to put it together. But, yeah, contactees don't need as much sleep. I'm not sure why. Yeah, well, it's yeah. certainly my life experience. When I was a little boy, I was always up at night. It drove my parents crazy. In fact, I went out and they nailed the screens shut on my windows. <laughs> I would go out in the night by myself. And, um, of course, it didn't occur to them that we had a stairway and a kitchen, kitchen door. So it wasn't too hard to evade that particular thing. In any case, uh, I, I've, I, I wouldn't say that there's ever been a statistical study or anything, but I do notice that, that, quite a few contactees and close encounter witnesses don't sleep a lot. And there, there's also something called guarded sleep, which is where, but this happens more with people who are being abused as children sexually 
not so much in, within in the close encounter community where the person is doesn't ever sleep very deeply and um uh so i think that that that's probably not part of it now dolly it, let's go back to the initial experience in 1973 uh, but before we do that free free dreamlanders uh, we're going to take a little break and you're going to watch some lovely ads about all of the different marvelous shows we have on unknown country and i do hope you join us because this is happening it is real and you want to be a part of it or you wouldn't even be listening to this show so we'll be right back we're talking to preston dennett and dolly saffron dolly is a close encounter witness with more or less full recall and she is a representative of the future that a lot of us are going to be remembering. We have, many of us were told when we were young that there would come a time when we did remember these things. And that time is now, actually. We are beginning to remember. We're going to be talking about a lot of extraordinary things. Uh, most um, among them, for example, how to fly and what it's like to fly these devices. I, I hesitate to call them devices, and we'll talk about that in a little while. But I've read Dolly's account in Preston's book very carefully, and there are, I think it's a true story, frankly, because there are subtle things about it that nobody talks about that I know and that Dolly knows. And on that note, Dolly, I would like you to talk about smell and the sense of smell and how that works in your experience with the grays. Um, your, uh, your psychic ability uh, works both ways. It, it's uh, corporeal and non-corporeal. But there are certain uh, actions between your mind, your physical mind, and your third eye and your astral mind that connect constantly. And the sense of smell seems to be a really important connection. It is a, uh, it warns me about things. It uh, lets me know that I'm uh, operating a certain way. And uh, it, it's comforting to me. In other words, I know when I'm getting things right by my sense of smell. It is acute, and uh, I can I can even identify you by your sense of smell. I can identify almost any entity by their sense of smell. If you if an entity uh, remote views me, I can smell you remote viewing me. It's uh, a weird situation. It's one of the first things that I realized when I was growing up that I had that ability, and uh, I used to wonder at it. You know, what is that? Um, it's stood me in my stead. Also, as a nurse, I can identify compounds, drugs, illnesses, you name it. I'm acutely aware of everything by my sense of smell. ETs have an acutely intense connection to smell as well. And they also identify each other by the smell as well. It's uh, pretty interesting. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't think 
any I've ever met anybody else who knows anything about the visitors and the sense of smell. Because, it, you know, the first thing I want to do when I'm with them is to smell them. And right. the reason is that that's the identifying, that's identifying. And right. they will get very close to one another. And the, right. yeah, you, why did you we touch, touch your foreheads? Yeah, yeah. We touch foreheads and yeah. we inhale. Yes. We whiff. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, I've had many experiences describe that. That's what Jay Gardner says. When he, he went on board, they leaned forward and touched heads and breathed in each other's scent. That's how they greet. That's right. And it's also how you can greet them. Right. Uh, exactly. Ha have you ever done that greeting? Yes, all the time. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> I have <laughs> so, so, yes. Yeah, so, of course you have. Um, Preston, I... I wanted to ask you now what it was about Dolly's story that stood out because, of course, conscious contact, a lot of conscious contact is very unusual. And wh why would you think she wasn't simply making it all up? Oh, many reasons. I mean, it was clear to me from the beginning as she spoke, that she was hitting all the markers that I've heard in other people's experiences. And uh, initially, she was very reluctant to talk about details. And as I interviewed her, I'm like, Dolly, you're kind of glossing over these experiences. And she said, well, you know, I've spent my whole life keeping this secret. And this is something I've dealt with with other contactees. It's very difficult for them to come forward. And as she continued to recount her experiences, um, very much of it was familiar to me. I mean, all of Dolly's experiences, as amazing as they are, and they are truly amazing, I have heard them piecemeal from other experiencers. Uh, but Dolly was able to sort of connect all the dots, fill in the blanks, and have a continuous narrative. And that really stood out to me. Uh, but it, she also had physical evidence. I mean, she was able to provide photographs, moving films. She, we uh, went to a UFO con together and sure enough, the UFOs came down and showed themselves to me personally. And <laughs> I mean, it just started to add up. She's very psychic and uh, she would demonstrate this to me inadvertently sometimes and sometimes purposefully over and over again. She's very emotional about some of her experiences. That's not at all unusual when I'm interviewing someone that they might tear up, which is another indication that a person is dealing with a real experience. And I can go on and on. I know Dolly's story is real because I've, to a certain extent, become a participant in it. So, yeah, I'm really, really impressed with her story because it's the first time I've really talked to someone who has completely overcome their fear of this uh, and uh, really just full-on woke up and took full advantage of what the ETs have to offer. Dolly has sent us the photographs, and we will put some of them up during the course of the show. And for those of you who are listening on the audio 
feeds, uh, you can go to unknowncountry.com and see the images. They will be on the Dreamland show page as well. Now, Preston, we have here a situation where some somebody has come forward who has had conscious memory all of this time, and people like me and most witnesses have fragmentary memories. But one of the things that I've noticed that happen, is happening to me as I read the book is it's bringing back a lot of memories. And I, many people are told that they will remember this at a certain time. What's your sense of this? Do you feel like uh, perhaps it's, that is, this is the time? And if so, why would that be? Uh, yeah, I do feel like that's exactly the case. And I certainly do hear this from other witnesses who are, you know, reading some of my other books, perhaps, will have sudden memory flashbacks. And uh, I think this is why it's important that people come forward because each person who shares their story helps spark the memories in other people. I myself did have a missing time incident, which I still haven't fully recalled, but I am having some very interesting dreams now. Uh, and uh, I think I'm beginning to step into some of my own memories of my own experiences. And this is, I think, one of the main purposes that Dolly wanted to come forward is because she knows she's not alone. There's an army of people out there. I mean, we're talking millions who have had contact. And a lot of it is buried. And I think now we're in a very crucial time in human history uh, with you know, all these events that are going on. It's always been a very prominent message from the ETs about how we are taking care of our planet and ourselves and that we are on the verge of, you know, going through some very difficult times. And I think we're there. Uh, I think we're seeing some very interesting steps towards disclosure. We're seeing a slow but steady escalation of contact, which I think at some point will move towards open official contact. So it's important that people remember. And this is, I think, a very carefully orchestrated plan on the part of the ETs. And that we are at that point now where it's going to be a whole new level and people are going to start remembering. Uh, I have to wonder what the official level of it will be like, because I see this as being very much more about people like you and me and Dolly than it is about anyone operating at an official level. I have no objection to them uh, at all. I mean, I love having them on the show. I have CIA officers who have had contact and military people all the time on the show. I think it's fine. But I also think that the core of it has to be from us, from the people. And I see you nodding, Dolly. Maybe yes. you've got some things to say about that. I bet you do. Yes. We are... E.T. Uh, has been a part of our evolution for eons. We are their children. They are, they are our progenitors. And we have a uh, place in their society. 
we have had more than ample time here to reach the knowledge of that. And yet we've been denied access by the powers that be on this planet. And one of their main messages is that part of waking up is instrumental in that we need to break away from being so dependent on a, a government that tells us what to do or what to think or how to feel, to walk away from the fear that we're taught, to explore our innate abilities to detox our bodies, uh, to get away from all, all the toxic food, water, air, all of it, and uh, open up our minds and signal to them that we're ready to hear them and actually communicate with them. Uh, when we do that, it will teach you immeasurable, manifold things, not the least of which is wake you up. You will trigger. You will start to gain memories. They are sending messages every day. They are intending for us to wake up now. They, they are constantly communicating with us mentally, and uh, they're just waiting for you to answer. It's an individual thing. All of us have to do our part. Each person has ability on their own. And uh, instead of growing up with parents who taught you this, a lot of adults are now going to have to teach themselves. And it's a little bit of a chore, but the message is, is that it's doable. And and uh, one of the things that I want to do that I was expressly uh, asked to do by them by coming out is to teach this, you know, to give you tools, resources for waking up. Um when I speak, I, I speak to that directly. Why don't you tell us about your the age of... Why don't you tell us about the age of 14 when you woke up? Tell us about that experience. Um, when I finally uh, got my that particular contact uh, opened up in my head, I was flooded, I mean flooded with... Uh, images and everything that it took me a day. I literally walked home from school that day. I live about 60 miles away from school and I walked a good deal of it. I rode the Metro bus and walked and walked and walked and just kept going through it and going through it and going through it. Um, by the time I got home, I realized that um, my whole life was already way involved and that I was not living the life. In other words, my reality totally shifted. Um, I had duality. I had uh, experiences. Uh, it was incredibly um, immense for me. Um, I ran the gamut emotionally. I cried for days. I was upset. I was happy. <laughs> I couldn't sit still. Um, my father became involved with me. He took me to a, a friend who I will divulge to you. I've considered long and hard about who I was going to, if I was going to divulge this or not, but I will. Um, my father knew astronauts. He worked for NASA. Uh, he was friends with Edgar Mitchell and uh, B.D. Cooper. And he worked with Cooper. And uh, he took me to see Ed Edgar Mitchell, and uh, they tried to hypnotize me because he thought that would help calm me down. You know, he was going to do some uh, calming hypnotherapy. And they found uh, out that wait, I'm... Wait, Dolly, who tried to hypnotize you? I, I wasn't clear Ed on that. Edgar Mitchell. Edgar did. Yeah. And so, uh, that, so the unnamed person in the book is Edgar. 
Yes. Oh, yeah. I loved Edgar. He was just such a cool yeah. guy. Uh, he's a terribly cool guy. Man, yeah. he had he could get testy. He, I had a lot of wonderful experiences <laughs> with Edgar. But go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, I called him feisty. <laughs> I learned to be feisty from him. Okay. <laughs> uh, he he tried to hypnotize me. They got me to relax and all, but um, I was already wide awake. And that kind of shook him up a little bit. He was shocked. Uh, we had some conversations about his contact, what he'd seen, and things like that. And that calmed me down a lot more even. Um, I just needed to know I wasn't alone with this, you know. I had my dad. I had them. He was already starting the foundation by then. And uh, did, uh, uh, did Edgar, can you remember anything Edgar told you about his own contacts? Because he told... Me and Anne a lot about it, but he also told us to keep it to ourselves. So, yes, and I and, can't. <laughs> and I had him on Coast to Coast AM, and he wouldn't say yeah. anything. Right. Yeah. He he never would. I know. And, and you're right. I know probably what you know, but I will never divulge that open to anybody. Yeah, well, let's, let's just say that Dolly and I both know that Edgar Mitchell had extensive contact experiences, and he's not exactly. the only astronaut. Yes. And right. he swore us to secrecy. Now he's passed away. And unless he can come back and release, re release the bond, <laughs> we have no choice right. to, but to say Edgar was no. the real deal. And he had some yeah. extraordinary experiences. Exactly. Yes, okay. So let's go back to the hypnosis session and, um, and what happened after that? Um, I, I calmed down and, uh, they both convinced me that my dad had already started getting me to fully on meditate every day. He said, you need to, you know, you need to, what's the word he used? You need to be calm. You need to throw away everything, you know, on the outside and let it go, let it drop all the disturbances, everything. And, uh, he said, and just wait for them to come and talk to you. And so I did, and it wasn't long. It only took about three or four days. And I got my first message straight from, Talata. Um, I didn't remember him at first. Uh, okay, tell us me exactly what that word Talata is. That's the name. Yes. It's yeah. I spell it T-L-E-R-A, and it's a it's a little part of his entire name, and I can't pronounce it. <laughs> so I nicknamed him Talata. Do they speak and he let to me get away with it? In voices or in the in the mind? He speaks to me in my mind. Uh it's mostly conceptual uh conversations. In other words, he shows me whole concepts at one time. It's rapid. It's very rapid. Um, I've you know, had to learn to slow down my speech because of it. it. It's so important to hear this carefully, folks, because she's describing exactly the way the greys communicate. And if you're not ready for it, it can be very confusing. And right. they don't necessarily buy into your confusion they just keep on talking <laughs> right. Right. yes so, you either get it or you don't yeah so when you say uh they speak in concepts can you describe that exact experience as carefully as you can um all right well the first time it hit me i was uh relaxing in my room. This is his first contact with me. And all of a sudden I saw and heard and felt uh, a presence. And uh, in that exact instance, I felt, saw, and knew 
that I was about to be contacted and there was instructions with it all at the same time. In other words, I had to be clean. I had to be calm. I had to be comfortable. I had to be ready. And, uh, and that I was going to go on a ride with them. And he gave me an overview suddenly of what that was. And, uh, it happened in a matter of seconds and I was confused. And I, the first thing back at them that I tried to relay was say that again, (laughs) you know, just one more time, please. And uh, he shot me up with it again. And that time I got most of it that time. And I realized, Oh my God. So I did what I was ordered to do. I got a nice good bath. I was wearing comfortable outfit. I knew when, it was going to happen to me and I was calmly waiting for it to happen. And he did, they showed up, they took me, uh, they came for me in a, what I call two seater and took me up to Talata, who is a, is an entity that he's a disembodied dimensional entity who indwells the craft that I fly. He is my buddy. We need to, to just stop here for a minute. I'm going to take a break for the free dreamlanders now. And, uh, after the break, we're going to get into this whole process because it's very important to understand this. Uh, some of you have done it and will remember for the first time while you're listening to this, how this works. But this is in fact how it works as far as I can tell. And I've done a little bit of it myself. And, uh, uh, but my memories are not clear. They're not like Dolly's. But I, I know enough from my own experience to know that what she's saying would seem to me to be quite accurate. So those of you who are listening on the free side, please listen carefully to these attempts, however pitiful they may be to induce you to support the website. Okay, we're back. We're talking to Preston Dennett and Dolly Safran. Symmetry, a true UFO adventure, is the story of Dolly's, essentially of Dolly's life in contact. And it is a remarkable story because this is one of the people, and there are a few others around there, who've had pretty much a conscious life with the visitors and who are now available to the rest of us to help us remember and to help us understand what could happen here because it's it, it, the planet is reaching the crisis that was expected and it is becoming time for those of us who are involved in this to do what we were meant to do in each of our lives and uh, we don't need to guess about that. If you're going to be involved, the the grace will come to you, and there will be it will be provable. It's not going to be something that you have to make claims about anymore. And if that doesn't happen, then it just does not happen. That's okay. Uh, we can we we can live with that. But in case it does happen, we're preparing the groundwork right now. So let's go back to uh, to Dolly, and Dolly will describe the process of engaging with a presence 
that is also a craft, because that is the best way to describe what this is like. Um, Talata is a uh, dimensional, disembodied entity. He is extremely highly involved. He has worked with the Grace for longer than I could ever possibly explain to you. He is capable of indwelling any craft he wants to. He has moved from craft to craft from time to time. He has one craft that he basically works with, and it's the one that I fly. And uh, when I come on board, he is his presence is already on board, and he's already uh, executing every system on that craft that needs to be working properly. He, he monitors the entire thing from the uh, engine to the uh, waveguides, all of it. He is in control of the entire craft. He is uh, conscious and aware of what I'm doing. And uh, they give me a chance to get on. I, I uh, disinfect myself. I get on a, a, a jumpsuit. I make sure that I'm bodied <laughs> and had something to drink, you know, hydrated. And I go through a, a small debriefing uh, where we talk uh, about what the mission is that we're about to go fly. Uh, as I prepare, I go to the what I call the helm, and I have a seat that I sit in, and it's uh, geared to protect me while I'm operating because uh, I am in an I become I literally get engorged by an electromagnetic field, and uh, part of that field is involved. It's a ball. And it starts out very small and it looks metallic and it looks solid. It's hexagonal sort of. And when that ball is energized, it's up on an arm on the seat that I sit in. It doesn't attach to it. It hovers just below the top of the underside of the arm. Uh, it starts to initialize. Um, I, I am the one that starts it up and it grows. It gets bigger and bigger. It creates a quantum electromagnetic field. Um, it is a space for, uh, it's a psychic space as well as a uh, energy field where Talata brings his consciousness into that field and I remote my consciousness into that field with them and we communicate from that point. We become one. And uh, as I prepare to uh, get the ship running and going, I go through all the systems that we're about to do. I, I have already practiced in my head where I'm going. I know the coordinates, everything. I know how I'm going to fly, what I'm going to do. And I then uh, calmly go into that mode in my head. I cease to exist anywhere except in that conscious field with Talata. And then I call the ball. I say, we're going, we're ready, let's go. And I lift up the craft. Talata is running the engines for me. It's a symbiosis of a cooperative effort between the two of us. And he is helping me do everything. He notices everything that's going on. And I'm basically just the driver. Um, he sees things ahead of time for me. I can avoid things in space. I can... Uh, see things as uh, far away, close up. He can give me any anything that I need while I'm making this craft operate. Um, I bring it into play. It is uh, very fast. 
and it is uh, depending on what I'm doing. If I'm flying in space around our solar system or any solar system, uh, there's a lot more uh, play action for me. I get to be a little bit more in physical control of where I'm at. In other words, I physically become the craft with them and I can move and do anything I want. I can turn on a dime. I can go straight up and down. Whatever I want to do with the craft, I can do. It becomes me. I become it until I is in it with me. When we get ready to make jumps, we do what they call light jumping. And uh, we create a quantum field. The type of uh, energy that we use and nuclear energy that they use is so intensely powerful, it can create an opening, a light opening into a quantum field. In other words, it can dimensionally open a window and it's all light when it happens you can see them sometimes people have got videos of them where big white light will open up in the sky and you'll see stuff coming out of it that's it (laughs) that's where we go and we go through that light and it's a dimensional doorway and that's how we travel thousands millions of light years all at one time and it's it's seconds it takes seconds um my my ability to remember coordinates sends us to the place I've already locked in, in my mind, in a light message with that quantum opening where we're going to go. And then we go. And then once we get there, the door shuts. And uh, then I got to deal with where I'm at then and then go where I'm going. But it's all symbiotic uh, control of this craft. This craft doesn't have uh, controls like a car or a plane or whatever. It's all psychic run ability. And uh, it's very, very clean. It's very, very efficient. And we very rarely make mistakes with it. Very rarely. The only time that I've ever, um, I've ever come in, uh, to a problem is when I'm on a field guideline, um, electromagnetic, electromagnetic field guideline of wherever it is on that, that suddenly drops or fluctuates wildly. And I have to, you know, compensate for it. And uh, there's, you know, ways of doing that. Uh, some of the crashes that have happened on this planet, unfortunately, are because our magnetosphere is unreliable right now. And it's been that way for a while. And they lose control of the craft and they go down if they're not able to compensate for it. And, uh, but that's what it is. Talata is 100% uh, in control with me. Um, if anything happens to me, he can still fly without me. He takes over at that point. In other words, it feels it's a fail safe. And uh, he knows as much as I know. Uh, the reason that I am important to the flying of that craft is because it's a lot for one entity to run those systems that are on that craft. They're, uh, they're constantly, they become the craft itself. So it leaves the pilot needs to be the one to actual drive to where you're going. That's how it works. It's a very interesting experience to become yes. a craft. I've had that experience myself. And uh, you just, <laughs> believe me, suddenly you are something else, and it's remarkable. It's, yes. a, it's the loveliest experience I think I've ever known, and I only yes. have just a fragmentary memory of it, but it's so vivid. And so, I, well, I can't be sure, Dolly, that your descriptions uh, would pass muster with uh, someone who taught these piloting methods. I do know two things about them. One is this symbiosis is absolutely part of it. And two right. is 
there you described very well what it's like when a wormhole is opened and uh it 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 is exactly like that i i wrote a novel which no one would buy about huh. this uh and th those wormholes open into other parts of this universe and also into other universes entirely yes now, that can uh, happen yeah so now so that leads me to a question uh, when you went through, where did you go? Uh, and how you've been through more than one, I think. And yes. so I should ask you to describe some place you went and whether or not you knew it was in this universe, because I'm never sure, to be honest with you. Um, I have one instance where uh, I'm a little pretty positive that um, I ran in. In, in a strange way into myself and maybe traded places for a short period of time. I went into a universe parallel to this one and uh, came back somebody as things were different to me. In other words, I think I ended up there and who was there ended up here. And it took a, a little bit to make the switch back. Um, I was conscious of myself. I was conscious of what was going on, but just things weren't quite, exactly like they should be. And I was confused. Why did this happen? And basically they were showing me that uh, we exist on multiple levels consciously. We, uh, we separate out into every dimension there is. Our consciousness is capable of operating at the same time in multiple universes at the same time. And that we are all aware of it uh, on some level. And they are aware of it. And so I got brought to that to be shown it. And uh, it was a little, it was a little weird. It, it weirded me out. I'll be honest with you. Um, it took me a while to come back to myself from that. And uh, I haven't done it since. <laughs> like, I wonder if I'm going to do it again, <laughs> but not right now. No. I have had, uh, it, it, my, I'm not going to belabor this because my listeners all know the story, but I have learned to, see into a parallel universe and I've been into them physically three times. Uh, so it is definitely possible. You don't need a craft actually. I mean, no. there's a, there's th these universes are really right here. So that, th that's been what we're actually talking about folks is an exponential expansion of human consciousness into the world in a lot of different ways. And Preston, I think I would like you to, to just sort of riff about this because you're very sensitive to this aspect of the close encounter experience and, and where it, it, it's going, where consciousness, uh, the destiny of human consciousness is involved here. And it's a very strange destiny, very unlike the limited linear world we're living in now. We're living in a world of, I would say it's the horse and buggy world of consciousness, but it's not. It's pre-wheel. We're just about to get wheels. That's how far back we are in some respects. So why don't you t t talk about a little bit 
about the relationship between consciousness and contact. Yeah, there's a huge relationship here. And it's been largely overlooked, I think, by the nuts and bolts crowd who are trying to prove this phenomena. But what I found is contactees are profoundly psychic. This is the rule, not the exception. And uh, this is one of the primary ET agendas, is to wake us up to who we truly are. We as Earthlings living in this third-dimensional plane are largely suffering from profound amnesia. And we don't remember our past lives. Uh, we don't have memories of what's going on at night when we're leaving our body. And this is where contactees start to really get a glimpse of who we truly are. We are much more powerful beings than most people realize. Uh, we have the ability to go out of body. This is so critical, yeah. folks. We're more powerful, more powerful. And Dolly's going to want to talk about that too in a few minutes, I know. But this is so critical. And uh, Preston, why are we like this? Why do we believe so little about the truth of ourselves? I think it's largely our own fault. We've hired, employed governments that are not, do not have our best interests in mind. Um, it's hard to say we've been on a downward spiral uh, for a while. And uh, I think it behooves every single one of us to step, you know, take a deep breath, step back, realize that we are autonomous beings in control of our own destiny. And it's up to us to evolve and realize that we are, in fact, eternal beings with incredible abilities. I don't like calling them supernatural. They're not. We all have the natural ability of telepathy, of telekinesis, of healing, of precognition, past life recall, levitation. Dolly has experienced levitation on more than one occasion. And I know... Uh, you've talked about this too, Ellie, <laughs> and I've found many other contactees who have experienced physical levitation. This is a natural human ability. We are so we are capable of so much more than we realize, and it's really important that we wake up and become fully realized human beings. And I think once we do that, the whole world will change. We'll leave greed and corruption and hatred and divisiveness behind and move into who we truly are. Yeah, you know, that business of levitation, I remember a lot of that from my childhood, but I have trouble believing it really happened. And, and that's, yeah. that's one of the problems, is this block that we have toward, to, you know, I, I always worry, well, maybe it's just my imagination, and my wife used to say, don't say just when you say your, say imagination. Imagination is a tool, Whitley. And fine, it is a tool. But did I really levitate that much when I was a child? I just don't know. I don't do it now to my knowledge. But, uh, Dolly, I think you're more empowered in this than I am, c c considerably more, because you have more, more, so much conscious memory can you tell us a little bit about how you think of the human body in relation to the journey that's coming, which is a bit, both a physical journey, 
a journey of the soul, and a new level of consciousness. Okay. Um, I was instructed and taught uh, by E.T. that this uh, physical plane that we live in is uh, universally this uh, here for a reason. It's a, it's a paradigm of, of uh, learning. It's where we come, our consciousness comes to experience in a physical realm uh, to learn so that we, we already know everything in source. Okay. We're already educated we already have that knowledge and it's all there for us. Okay. But to come here and actually physically embody it to, to employ it into our own autonomous abilities ourselves, each individual, it raises us up. We become wise. We become capable of being more than we started out as. And that's the whole point of existence is to elevate ourselves and keep moving forward and going up into uh, knowledge, wisdom, and ability so that each level of existence, we, we uh, take the next steps toward full realization of our actual who we are. Okay. Uh, we get to be given uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You get to meet the all mind. You get to become part of that realm. In other words, you get to go have the conversation. Okay. So I caught up with you. Now what, you know, and you get to find that out. It's a journey of, of unbelievable discovery and joy and light. And you become 10 times more than you ever thought you could be. Uh, People here are not handling this well at all because there is negative energy on this planet right now that is so thick and so intense that it's held everybody back from their actual existence of who they really, really are. And it lies to you. It doesn't tell you the truth about who you are. And we've been so jumbled in those lies that we're confused. That's why you have a hard time remembering, did I levitate or not? Because you've been talked out of the knowledge. You've been lied to about it. And you're not sure. So reaching that part of you, tapping that part of your innate self, your consciousness, which is where it is, you know, your physical mind, your body is your key to living here. Your pineal gland is the key to connect up with that true consciousness that you are. Okay. And that's what waking up is. You unlock that key and you realize, whoa, okay, I have, I can use this physical body as an instrument like Talata uses the craft to move about and do what I want. That's it a beautiful a analogy because the body is our craft. Yes. Very much so. Absolutely. And I, yes. I hadn't ever thought of it that way before. Free, those of you on the free side, we are going to leave you behind now. As always, I urge you to not be on the free side and to support the site. It's having trouble getting support because a lot of people are caught up in uh, extremist politics and QAnon and so forth, and we're not there, and so we're sort of being left behind. So if you're not there either, this is t the time to make sure that that, that we stay alive because uh, we're having plenty of trouble. Um, 
a lot of people in the UFO community are very much engaged in ultra extreme conspiracy theories and so forth. And it's a natural thing because, you know, they've lived in a situation where the government has been lying not only to them, but about them for years. And it's, uh, it's not hard to go from there to believing things that are actually completely untrue. And, but here on an unknown country, we stand for freedom, moderation, and knowledge, and genuine self-knowledge. So, anyway, sign up. I, I won't keep rattling on. Subscribers will keep right on. Dolly, you said something very interesting about the body. And you implied that the body is itself a kind of craft. And we've been talking about levitation. And I mean, you're talking to somebody who's lived this. I mean, I've lived physically moving into other physical worlds three times in my life, once with another person with me. My listeners know all about this. I've lived the experience of going back in time, lived it. And so this is all possible. But where do we go from here? Because I have to tell you, I did not make myself move into these universes. It just happened. I did not make myself go back in time. I was standing on a street corner. It was the farthest thing from my mind when it happened. (laughs) (laughs) How can we, is there any way, do you think there's any way that we can kind of gain control over these powers that we're being beaten down and told we don't have. And Preston, in a minute, I'm going to ask you a little bit about why there's, what these dark forces are that are keeping us down. But can you, can you respond first to that, Dolly? Um, Where we go from here is uh, to learn to uh, let go first. uh, Buddha was right. He was trying very hard to make everybody see that. Let go of everything external around you. Uh, you have to be able to see within to go without. And uh, that means dropping all external annoyances and, and everything. To truly link up with your conscious mind, your physical body can't do that unless it can control how it perceives what's happening. And that's in your mind to do that. Um, once you do that, practice makes perfect. We ride bikes. You know how to ride a bike. You ride a bike all the time. You can not ride a bike for months and get back on the bike and ride the bike. This is the same thing with your abilities. You develop them so that it's that easy for you. But you have to keep going. We didn't have the luxury, most of the people here, of learning it from childhood. So now you're going to learn it as an adult. It's a new language but you can do it. And it's just practice, 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 and then find people who are like minded like you and work together at it. You know, make it a party. Everybody have fun doing this. This is the joy of existence. Anyway, we're supposed to be living in joy in our lives and enjoying our abilities. And that's where you go. You start seeking it out every day. Start out 15 minutes a day, work your way up to an hour Walk in the energy that you exist in. 
feel it constantly. Let it come at you. You know, don't let the negative vibrations in. Let the positive ones in and then swim in it. Have a good time. You can do it. Preston, the and that is beautifully said, by the way, folks. I, I think that's exactly right. We can do it. Uh, and it's there, there's something so deep in us saying you can't. But you have to just let it say that and keep trying, keep going down whatever path you choose. Preston, there's some kind of a dark force here. Is it in us? Or, well, exactly. Give you an example. I'm not the only close encounter witness who's been oppressed by people within the government. I'm, I'm definitely not. And, uh, this is something that happens to lots of us and they ruin our lives or try to. What is that about? What are they afraid of? Do you understand this at all? You've, you've certainly been been uh, aware of it as a researcher for a long time. Yeah, I'm very disappointed. Uh, there's no reason for it. I think if we had dealt with truth and transparency, our governments had just allowed you know, love and truth and compassion to guide their actions, we'd be much better off. But they haven't. And we're dealing with elements of, and I'll just name them, it's like big pharma. Um, the oil industry, the banking industry, the insurance industry. These guys are on my naughty list. People who are covering up this information, who have the ET bodies, the hardware. They know this is real. They've known for since at least the 1940s, probably before, and are calling UFO witnesses liars, misperceiving, hoaxing, hallucinating. And they know full well this is entirely real. I think ultimately it's uh, greed and power that is their motivation for this, or fear even. Fear is a motivating force in most people's lives. And that's what we really need to overcome. We need to recognize that the universe is ultimately safe. We're an indivisible, integral part of the universe. There is no such thing as death. We need to leave fear behind. The global media is very fear-based. Uh, and this is the problem. This is what's been retarding UFO research. And the whole field has uh, just been completely stagnated. Now, I've, I've always thought the strongest force on our planet is the people themselves. And we are the ones who rule the world. So it's up to the people to really just say enough is enough. We're not going to live in fear. We're not going to buy into the lies. We are going to move forward on our own. So, yeah, I mean, there are evil forces. There's no doubt about it in my mind. I try not to focus too much on it. I think it's important to aim towards the positive aspects and grow that way and do not give energy to those who would have, you know, us not believing this stuff. I remember the message of the Crabwood Formation, beware the bearer. Beware the bearers of false gifts and their broken promises. Uh, there is good out there. Much pain, but still time. But that was a while back. That was back in 2002. It's 20 years later now. Maybe there's not so much time anymore. And that gets me to the question of 
what if the planet does fall apart around our ears or there's a nuclear war? We got, we're, we're probably about 10 breaths away from a nuclear exchange right now. Uh, you have a crazy man, a brutal crazy man, uh, wielding nuclear, within possession of a massive nuclear arsenal who's got his back up against the wall because he's losing an insane war that you should never have started in the first place. So we're close to a situation where life on this earth might not be possible anymore. And if it, it doesn't come from that direction, the environment is in plenty of trouble too. I mean, I know where you are, uh, uh, Dolly. I believe the weather is quite violent right now. Uh, it, 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 are you in the South? Yes. In yes. Florida. Yes. Georgia, yeah. actually. Georgia. Yes. So right yeah. in the heart of it. I mean, it's a, yeah. and that, that shouldn't, it should not be that there's just storm after storm after storm. Uh, it, well, but it, it is. And it's because the climate is changing very violently. Uh, do you know why? Tell me. Are you aware? Um, uh, about 80 years ago, our sun changed its polarity. And it, it signaled the rest of our solar system to uh, change its polarity as well. It doesn't happen overnight. Uh, we are, our poles are an excursion as well as every other pole on every other planet in our system. And uh, with the magnetosphere going down, the sun is also heated up into solar maximum. We have uh, many, many uh, things occurring at once with our sun. We have a 12,000 year cycle occurring. We have a 6,000 years coinciding at the same time. We have a, a very strong uh, electromagnetic current sheet coming at us as well from the center of our galaxy coming at us that we're going through. And uh, it's just a great big uh, calamity waiting to occur. And it is going to occur. And what you see in weather on this planet has nothing to do with pollution. It has to do with our core heating up from all the friction coming from our sun and our changing poles. Uh, it is going to keep going until we reach full solar maximum and the sun blows a CME into an X-class range that hits us head on and sends this planet straight into uh, no energy at all available for anybody. We will go straight to the Stone Age, 10 miles deep. Funny thing. So you're talking uh, about the destruction of the human species physically. Well, not it won't kill us, but it will make us unhappy because it'll burn down every electronic thing on this planet. If you live well, in a house with electricity, it'll burn it down. That has happened as recently as 1853. Yes, um, yes. And uh, this, our yes. star does, does, like all stars of this configuration, it, it sends out these mega bursts from time to time. I wrote a book about this years yeah. ago uh, called uh, Solar Storms which sold like six copies. I mean, no one could care less about a thing like that. And yet it's so important. Right. Uh, People are starting to take notice now. It, they're starting to hear it. Um, it's not just that. Once that happens, we have more coming. Uh, do you remember in 2019 when uh, beetle geese covered and got dark and then it, its light came back, that star? That was a micronova. And it was proof that our sun, as well as every other sun in, in the universe, goes through periods of 
Micronova repeatedly before they majorly fall apart and go into supernova. And our sun is in a micronova stage right now. And that will happen within about seven years after that CME hitting. And when that micronova happens, it's going to blow us uh, pretty much into a very bad situation. We will have a NOAA event. Our, our globe is going to, you know, flop over a bit. We'll have a new equator. The earth will cover with water and we'll go into an ice age. Nobody's going to survive that. The wind alone, when that happens, is going to cut everything to pizzas. Uh, ET is planning on relieving this planet of as much as possible before that event happens. Uh, they've largely bugged out right now because our magnetosphere is so far down. They can't operate right now. They're out of here. Uh, they're waiting for that uh, X-class event to happen so, before they can come back. They have a small window of opportunity, and you'll see them massively land everywhere. The governments of this world don't want us here. They have been denied access to them. They made some very bad mistakes in the past with ETs. They tried to force their hand to do things. They lied to them. They uh, got referred to as empty bags by ET, just so you know. And uh, they're going to do whatever it takes to wipe us out. So we're not here and they take them, which they won't. Uh, so the idea here is for us to wake up and survive and make it through that event so that we are the ones who get picked up. And yes, Putin is an idiot. So is uh, Biden and a whole bunch of other people, Soros, Germany, all of it. They all know all the governments of the world. They think they can go underground and survive the CME. That's going to devastate everybody and then be here for ET to show up. That's the plan. And we are expendable. That's all period. That's what's happening. This is the cataclysm that everybody talks about. Well, there are indeed wealthy people with extensive underground facilities in this country. Yep. Um, I was actually, if you can believe it, invited. <laughs> I believe you. To have access to one. And I said, absolutely not. I would never do that. I belong to this planet and these people. I'm not going to hide from this if it happens. If it happens, right. it's going to happen to me too. Um, right. And, uh, but you know, it's a very complex situation. And if you look right. at the close encounter experience over the past 40 or 50 years, there is a constant voice here that some sort of a catastrophe is coming. It's in my work, certainly, uh, in one of the most powerful moments in my communion experience was seeing the earth on fire. And now it is, appears to be on fire. It's burning all the time. It seems there's forest fires all over the world. Yeah, mantle's and, heated up. It's our core, our mantle is breaking loose. We're actually uh, faster than a day now. Uh, they don't tell you the truth about that, but we don't have 24 hours anymore. We have under 24 hours and we're going to keep speeding up until it, get, it reaches critical mass. The fact that we have heated up and our poles are melting is because of that. Our entire uh, core is just hot and it's well, melting everything. You know, you and I have to disagree about this. I'm not, okay. I'm not at all, all right. convinced that that's true. I think that, that overpopulation is a major factor. Uh, I don't blame anybody for it. I go into that extensively and, uh, in, in my book, A New World, but it, the fact is that 
there are simply too many human beings on the planet and it can't sustain them I, anymore. I agree there are too many human beings. I agree about that, yes. But I love and them all, and each um, of them yeah. is just as important. You know, I, I asked when I asked my wife after she passed away and became so extraordinary and enlightened, I said to her, what is compassion? What does it mean? And she said, mm-hmm. simply in reply, her reply was, each of us is all we have. And that Correct. really took it home to me that the guy on the street, uh, the guy in the, in, in the, in the, in the, in, in, in the soup in Ukraine right now, or walking down a street in China or anywhere is just as important to themselves as I am to me. And right. that understanding that made me a compassionate human being as nothing else ever has before. Each of us is all we have. And when, you know, I'm angry at someone and which happens often on the streets of Los Angeles, you'd know if you drove here. (laughs) uh, I always think to myself, wait a minute, that person is all they have. Just like me. Preston, uh, I'd like to get back to this question of the way Close Encounter Witnesses look at some kind of upheaval coming. When I wrote Communion, it was far in the future, but now it feels like it's right on us. How many other witnesses would you say are beginning to to come to you with that, that notion? I would say almost all of them. Uh, ETs do talk to people. Certainly the first message out of their minds or mouths is, uh, do not be afraid. No harm. Have no fear. We're not here to hurt you. This sort of thing. And if someone um, has a strong fear response, they absolutely will communicate with you. And the number one message is usually along the lines of huge environmental upheavals. Uh, they're warned people about nuclear proliferation. That's very, very common. Uh, our warlike ways. Uh, this is absolutely the number one message. When ETs talk to people, this is what they want people to know. You are destroying your planet. Uh, why are you messing around with nuclear power? You don't need fossil fuels. There are other sources of energy. Uh, stop polluting your planet. Stop cutting down the forests. I mean, this is true from the 1950s contactee era with, you know, George Bansky and Howard Menger and Truman Bethram and all of those guys, whether you believe them or not, the message hasn't changed. The Greys are giving the same message. Praying mantis ETs, the human-looking ETs, strange humanoids. Uh, This is the very consistent message from day one. Yeah, I hear it all the time. I think it's really important we listen because uh, this is their number one message. Well, I would have to agree with you. I think it is. Uh, Dolly, we have a few minutes, about 10 minutes left. Where do you think your experience is going from here? Um, right now, I have chosen 
to remain behind to deliver this message. I could have gone with my uh, Ichi brothers and left and bugged out with them, but I chose not to. Um, so I put myself at risk with everybody here. Uh, like you, you are my people. I love, I love my brothers and sisters on this planet. And I fully believe that we all deserve and must help one another to go through what we're going to about to go through and to, to be all right. You know, truth is more important than anything. And each of us as autonomous individuals deserve to know. So I'm staying behind for that. Um, I have to work hard to survive through this as well. If I manage to do that, um, I will be lifted back off and I will come in a craft Talata and be lifting people off this planet. That is my uh, main mission is to evacuate people when the time comes. And um, uh, I just got to make it to that point. You mean yes, their physical bodies? Be, yes. Yep. That interesting. We will be making yes. rescues. Yeah. Uh, because I've been told, I, I don't think I'm going to be among the rescued. I think I'm going to stay here. Um, and, um, uh, but I've been out of my body often enough to know that the, physical aspect of it is only so useful and then at a certain point you become i become come to the point where i want to not have to do this anymore you know i don't want to be physical and uh, i'm i'm thinking that so it'll be pr quite a mix of people who aren't ready for that and people right. who are and but i always think so the idea that certain people would be rescued and others not just yes. appalls me. It appalls me. It is so dreadfully insensitive. And I, I think to myself that if anybody is not rescued, then I'm not going to be rescued. I will not be rescued unless wow. every single one of us is rescued. One of the things that I, and I agree with you there, I've had to face this and, uh, Talata has very gently brought me to some understanding for it. We all have our own decisions to make about our existence. And what we learn here is totally up to us. And how we stay here, leave here, or wherever it is that we go, it's still our decision. And so if we want to be rescued, we will. If we want to stay here and go through whatever it is that we're going to go through, we really don't die. You're just going to transition to something else. But everybody makes that decision for themselves. And uh, ET is a facilitator. They will, uh, they, this is their main message to everybody. It is up to you, whatever you want. And they will uh, facilitate that. If you want to go, you go. If you don't want to go, you don't have to go. But they will deny no one who wants to go. There is no decision whatsoever to stop anybody from going. Even no, I, Putin, if he's Smart enough to figure it out. I, under you know? I understand that ob level of objectivity from them. I've learned it myself because yeah. uh, uh, I learned, uh, well, a lot of things about what happened to people who did evil in this world, and it's a very surprising story. Preston, uh, why don't you tell us the main thrust of your research now and what you hope to accomplish in the, in the near future? And with that, we will sign off. So, Dolly, before we do sign off, I would like to thank you for your wonderful participation. And we didn't agree about everything, but we do agree about the basic 
things that this is real it is contact and um however it unfolds it's probably going to surprise us all so preston yes where are you going next Thanks, Whitley. Yeah, my main focus in my research has always been to give contactees a voice to get these, this information out. I think this is a very important subject. It has a potential to change the world, and I think we're seeing that right now. Uh, so that has really been my main focus. That's why it was such a delight to run into Dolly. And uh, she often would say, you know, I wish I'd met you earlier. And yeah, that would have been awesome, but I am not sure I would have been ready to tell her story uh, because we didn't really get into how extensive it is. I mean, she's been to other planets. She's lifted off all kinds of species from this planet to make sure they don't go extinct. Uh, been involved with uh, what we call gathering the children, which is you know, what we call abductions. Uh, yeah, yeah. going to. There's much more. Just real quick, uh, I think this is all good news. You know, yeah. We're talking about upcoming disasters and all this, but ultimately we cannot continue to live the way we're living. This is good news for us and Earth and humanity. We're not going to be living in greed and corruption and war forever. Um, times will change. It's going to be I good. I sure hope so, because it's certainly getting, it's like a talk about a broken record. Uh, I hope to have you back again, because uh, you, 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 you alluded to the fact that we didn't talk about an awful lot of things, and we didn't for two reasons. One is we only had an hour and a half, and two is you leave them, you want them to get the book. And so, <laughs> folks, if you want to read about a truly extraordinary life, which we have touched on in this show, but touched on only, Get Symmetry, A True UFO Adventure by Preston Dennett. It is Dolly's story, and it is a truly extraordinary story. Truly extraordinary. So, and not only that, I think it is a story that is going to become our story, the human story, over the years to come. So, Dolly, I would like to thank you. Do you have a last word for the listeners um basically uh what i hear from metis every time i'm with them and that is live your life go forward you know learn all that is learnable and proceed you know go forth enjoy and love and happiness let let drop all the negative stuff around you and just do whatever it is that you need to do that's it yeah it reminds yeah. me of one of the things annie said um, now the moment is all we have now right. is life right. right exactly live yeah beautiful show folks thank you both so much for being with me on dreamland and we will revisit but not until after i'm sure enough of my listeners have gotten a hold of this book and read it and folks uh you you ain't seen nothing yet so get symmetry, a true UFO adventure, and get into this, and it will help you remember your own life, I'm sure, if you've had experiences that you have forgotten.
You've been listening to Dreamland. Be sure to tune in again next week. Dreamland is brought to you by UnknownCountry.com and its family of subscribers. Our theme music is The O of Pleasure by Ray Lynch. Unknown Country was founded by Ann Streber. Our news editor is Matthew Frizzell. Our coordinator is Amy Safrankova. Whitley Streber is your Dreamland host. And I'm your announcer, Ted Alexander. <laughs>